Jesus' favorite way of teaching about God and the kingdom of God was to tell stories. These stories are called parables, and they were made up to illustrate a particular point. So we're going to read one today, uh, kind of an unusual one, from Matthew chapter 20, in which he talks about the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, that's nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, that's 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the householder, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading from his word. It's kind of an odd story, isn't it? It's a little unusual. Let's see if we can understand it from the the vineyard owner, the winemaker's perspective. It's a Sunday evening in October. September has been a great month. Weather's been good. Grape sugars are high. A man named Ernest owns a nice plot of land between St. Helena and Calistoga. Last year, his Cabernet Sauvignon got 99 points from the Wine Spectator magazine. So he can sell it for $125 a bottle. But he hears a report. Ernest hears a forecast on the evening news that predicts a weather front coming in by Wednesday. There's going to be rain for the next three weeks. He uh, panics and calls his brother Julio. And they decide to uh, bring in the harvest as quickly as possible. He goes the next morning to the union hiring hall, and he contracts for as many day laborers as he can find. Unfortunately, every other grower in Napa Valley has heard the same weather report. So he has to pay top dollar, 100 bucks a day for grape pickers. He loads the workers into an old school bus, Gets him out into the field as quickly as he can. But just around 9 o'clock, he hears another weather report saying that the rains are going to begin on Tuesday rather than Wednesday. 
So now he knows he is in big trouble. He's got to get all those grapes in today. Because if it starts raining, it, the mildew and the rot will set in and his crop will fail. It'll be terrible. So he goes out at 9 o'clock. He hires some more workers. He goes at 12. He hires some more workers. He goes back out at 3 o'clock. He hires some more workers. And yet he realizes that there's still grapes out there. And so he goes out at 5 o'clock. But by this time, the Union Hall is closed. And the only people that he can find are in the local bar. So he goes to the bar. These guys have been drinking all day. They've been passed over. So he orders coffee to go for everyone, loads them into the bus, and heads out to the fields with one hour left. They're all working, working as hard as they can. And finally, by the time darkness comes, it's evident they've done it. They've completed the harvest. The grapes are all in the truck, heading off to the stemmer crusher machine. He saved the day. He's so happy. He's so thrilled that he decides to have some fun. So he tells the foreman, put a hundred bucks into everybody's pay envelope. All the workers, the one-hour guys, the half-day guys, the full-day guys, everybody gets a hundred bucks. Well, the first to be paid is old Henry, the guy that came in at five, still smelling of his friend Jack Daniels. And he opens the envelope, and he knows there's been a mistake because he only worked an hour, and there's 100 bucks. But he doesn't say anything. He just keeps going, keeps walking. Then the other people come. They get $100. The guys that worked all day, they're starting to do the math in their head. They're thinking, he got 100 bucks for one hour. I worked 12 hours, so I'm going to get 1200 bucks. Well, Ernest is... Uh, crazy, but he's not stupid. In each of these envelopes, there's $100. Well, to the guys that worked an hour, this was great. But to those guys that worked all day and got the same, they were livid. They go to the, to the owner, they go to Ernest, and they say, this is totally unfair. We worked all day in the hot sun. And got a hundred dollars, and these guys that came in and worked only for one hour, they got a hundred too. Where is the fairness in that? There's no way to run a business, is it? What an interesting parable. Jesus is making the point that outrageous generosity, whether earnest or God's, isn't really fair. In fact, you have to choose in life in whether you want to believe in fairness or in grace. Because God's grace is not fair. If you want fairness, that's fine. But understand that you have to choose between grace and fairness. A free gift doesn't fit into the strict world of bookkeeping. It's always sort of a wild, crazy, unpredictable freedom to grace. It just happens. If you could predict grace, if you could count on it, it wouldn't be grace after all, would it? I've had a recurring dream in my life. It started when I was in 10th grade, and I was taking geometry. In the dream, I'm walking down the hallways of my high school, and I'm heading to my geometry class, 
And all of a sudden I realize today is the day of the final. Today is the geometry final. And I haven't studied for it. In fact, I haven't studied all year. There's some basis in reality to this uh, dream. But, um, and I'm terrified. I'm absolutely horrified. I go into the classroom. There's the exam in front of me. I have no idea what the answers to these problems are. But it's multiple choice, so I just start guessing. Guessing, guessing, guessing. And in the dream, the teacher appears again. She's ready to pass back out the exams, and she says, I have an announcement to make, class. The highest scoring exam was done by Bill McNabb. I wake up, and I'm so happy in that dream. So incredibly happy. Grace is great when you are the recipient of it. But other people, I had a different experience in seminary. There were classes that I didn't like very well. Greek and Hebrew were really irritating and annoying. But I had one that I loved called systematic theology. I loved systematic theology. Got to read Paul Tillich, Karl Barth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I just got into it and dug it and really, really enjoyed keeping up with the work, doing all the readings. And the night before the final exam of systematic theology, my friend and next-door neighbor, John Chamberlain, knocks on my door about 8 o'clock. He says, is there a test tomorrow, Bill? I said, yeah, it's the it's final exam in systematic theology. He goes, you know, I haven't been keeping up with that stuff. Uh, would you mind if I studied with you? I said, no, no, come on in. And so I shared my notes with him. Uh, talked with him about some of the things, kind of gave, gave him some tips and everything. And, and we studied together that night. The next day, we took the exam. And when the grades came back, John Chamberlain got a better grade than I did. It was terrible. It was so unfair. And to this day, 30 years later, when I see him, he asks if I need a little tutoring in systematic theology. I need a little help, maybe, in that yeah, grace is great when you get it, but when somebody else does, we're not so sure about that. Not so sure about that. I heard the story of a mafia guy named Terry Teague. He was on trial for murder, and he learned that a man named Fogarty would be one of the jurors, and he had one of his henchmen pay off Fogarty by his verdict. And the henchman said, now, whatever you do, Hold out for manslaughter. No first-degree murder. Hold out for manslaughter. And so the jury went and deliberated, and when they came back, sure enough, it was manslaughter. And Teague was delighted. Afterwards, he went over to Fogarty's side, shook his hand, said, was it hard in there? Was it tough? And he said, yeah, it was terrible. The others wanted to acquit you, but I held out for manslaughter. Held out for manslaughter. God wants to acquit people. But we're not so sure. We need, at least we think we need to hold out for manslaughter. A little bit of punishment's good, right? We're not sure if we like this whole idea of grace for other people. People who haven't, uh, you know, that's what irritates people. Remember the story of Jesus? He's, he's on the cross. He's dying. And there's two thieves on each side of him. And remember the one thief kind of taunts him a little bit. And the other thief just says simply, you know, this man is innocent. He's, he says a kind word to Jesus. And Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. A whole life of crime, a whole life of doing wrong, whatever, 
one kind word at the last moment of his life, that's enough. It's not fair, but it's grace. And Jesus told us this story to understand that that's how God operates. We don't like it because we tend to be envious of people who get undeserved grace. Envy is actually one of the worst sins that there is because, you know, it's not fun. Sins are supposed to be fun, but envy is not even fun. It, it, it feels horrible to be envious, but it's very seductive and it can do lousy things to your soul. There's a fable that Satan's agents are, were trying to seduce a holy man into sin. He lived by himself as a hermit in North Africa. Satan's agents were having a horrible time trying to get this guy uh, to sin. And so Satan intervenes himself. He says, your, your methods are too crude. Let me show you how to do it. So Satan goes to the holy man and says, he whispers softly in his ear, your brother has been made bishop of Alexandria. Suddenly the holy man's face shows the effect of a scowl. His eyes narrow and his mouth hardened. Envy, said Satan, is our best weapon against those who seek holiness. Yes, when we see God being outrageously generous with other people, it can provoke our envy. It can do that because we like to live in a world of fairness. We live in a world of comparisons, don't we? The world that we live in every day, a world in which bookkeeping is king, in which we keep records, records on ourselves, records on our achievements, our hard work, records on others, usually their failures. Bookkeeping is king in this world of comparisons. But I need to tell you that this world is headed for hell. The world of comparisons is on its way toward death. Because as, as the Bible says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we got what we deserved, it would be bad. But instead of getting what we, we deserved, what is fair, we get grace. The writer Robert Capon said, Bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven. For in that happy state, the books are ignored forever, and there is only the book of life. Biblical scholar Dale Bruner says that when you come, when you're reading the Bible and there's a question, you should stop and ask yourself that question personally. Ask how it relates to you personally. And so there are two questions in our text today that I want to leave you with. To think about this week, here are the questions that are in this text. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? That's the question of sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Can't God do what he wants? Isn't he God? If he wants to give grace, can't he do that? The second question, or are you envious? Because I am generous. Are you envious? Because I am generous. When we see other people receiving things that they don't deserve, does it create envy in us because of God's generosity or not? We have to remind ourselves that the church is an unusual organization. We're not here because of any achievements of our own. We're not here because... We're good people banded together to do good things. The Bible is very clear that the church is a collection of forgiven sinners. Pe 
people who are here because, not because of their own efforts, but because of the grace of God, because of the love and the forgiveness of God to us. That's what brings us together in this place. That's what unites us. William Willimon is a bishop in the Methodist Church in Alabama. And he emphasizes this point when they bring new members into the church, when people join the church. You know how uh, a few times a year we get people up here, the new members, and we introduce them, and uh, they take a vow, and you guys take a vow, and we bring them into the church. So I'm going to propose that next time Don and I do that, that we read to them the statement that Will Willimon reads to the members who are joining uh, in his church. He says this, In case we have not been clear about this in our preparation for membership, let me be clear now. You are being received into the membership standards which Jesus used for his own disciples. Be clear that in this church there are liars, adulterers, thieves, gossips, misers, and people looking for status. If you don't want to be among these people, don't join this church. The Bible is clear. Jesus came only to seek those who are lost and those who miss the mark in life, which is the polite way of saying sinners. That's who this church is for. Those are the ones for whom Jesus gave his life. Welcome to the church. We are here today, joined together, under the banner of God's great love, and grace for us.